0: Welcome to the Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We will talk about that today. Of course, this is also the day after uh, Joe Biden dropped uh, what I called in my newsletter, the mother of all mandates. Actually, it's kind of a quasi mandate. Not everybody thinks it goes far enough. Other people are absolutely hysterical about it. So we'll talk about all of that. And we are joined by our good friend, Tom Nichols, who's probably just as annoyed as I am this morning. So I just, I'm just guessing.
1: Although it's hard to, hard to tell when I'm more annoyed than any other day, but yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I I have to, to, before we get involved in this, you know, I I keep thinking about the, you know, the 20 year anniversary of something and, and I I have to admit, I'm kind of obsessed with, with time and, you know, and and the relative nature of time, you know, that 20 years is so long and yet it feels so immediate and everybody's doing their, their memories. But I had an interesting, I, I had a, I don't know, odd experience last night. Can I tell you about it? Just just yes, mention OK, so my wife and I are out uh, for dinner. We do that very, very rarely. But, you know, it's outside, really nice outs, uh, outdoor restaurant in, in Wisconsin. And those of us who live in Wisconsin where we have about six minutes of summer always take advantage of that. And we our waitress was, I think, maximum 21 years old, maybe younger than that. Very young girl. And there's music playing in the background. And I'm watching her come out. Of the restaurant to where we were, and she is, she is singing along, sort of under her breath, all of you know, uh, lip syncing, all of the the lyrics from "White Rabbit" by Jefferson Airplane. Okay? Oh, and, I, and I and I could tell she had every one of them. She 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 knew all the words. And um, what what struck me was "White Rabbit" was released in 1967. Okay. Na- 1967, because because math is not required on this podcast. 1967 was 54 years ago, and kids are still singing it. Do you know what 54 years before 1967 was? Yes, you do. It's 1913. We are as separated from 1967 as 1967 was from 1913, which blows my eyes blows my mind, because I, I just doubt that kids. Young kids in 1967
1: were singing the greatest hits of 1913. Do you know what I mean? Um, First, thank you for starting this uh, (laughs) podcast by sucking my will to live right out of my (laughs) 60-year-old body, Charlie. (laughs) Holy crap. Isn't
0: that something I just... Yes,
1: um, but it, it also shows you that rock and roll became the dominant music form you know, in, in the world, uh, it was not a flash in the pan. My, my father, God rest his soul. You say rock and roll. So, you know, crap, uh, you know, and well, no, it's, it is the dominant form of music and it has its classics, but I will also tell you just to make us both feel older. I was listening to the Sinatra station on my satellite radio and saying, you know, on the other hand, You know, talking 56, 57 years ago, um, you know, I can still sing along with every word of Lady, uh, the Lady is a Tramp. Um, There are just classics. So, you know, it's a little weird.
0: What year was that released?
1: Uh, Well, I think the live version that I like, you know, where Mm. he he does the whole, hey, knock down, cuckoo, crazy, Mm. you know, nutty broad in Harlem thing. Um, I think that was 1965. I think that was one of his kind of live capital releases. And you can just, you can hear him walking around with a, doing things you can't do, right? Walking around with a cigarette, spilling drinks on people and, you know, uh, calling dames and broads cuckoo and knocked out. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, but but I, I get that, I mean, 20 years before 9-11, I mean, if you really want to play that game, 20 years before 9-11, Ronald Reagan was yeah. being inaugurated. They, um and suddenly you say, "Wow, that seems like a really long time ago." Nine, th- t- although I have to say, twenty years ago for nine eleven seems a long time ago to
0: me. Now it does. It's a it is it is an entire lifetime. And by the way, relying on Google, which is the source of all things, right? um uh, That uh, the lady as a tramp was in was in the album A Swinging Affair, hmm, which came out oh, in nineteen na- a- in nineteen fifty seven.
1: Yeah, which he, the, was the studio six, version sixty four. Uh, Well, the studio version was earlier, but there's a version that he popularized later, um, came out in the early 60s, where, you know, again, he doesn't sing. He just he kind of walks around slapping people upside the head while he's singing. And uh, it's uh, it's totally Frank, baby. And that's the uh, the version I always listen to. Okay, so if it's 1957, though,
0: that's 64 years ago. Yeah, before I was born. So do the do the math. We're now into the 19th century. If, you know, 64 yeah. years before 1950s. The reason I mention this is I, we talk about historical eras and there's always a hangover. I mean, the fact is that what's happening now, you know, is shadowed and clouded by what happened in the 1960s. None of us are complete contemporaries. You know what I mean? You know, we, we, right. we grew up in a world that was – I grew up in a world that was shaped by the 1940s and the 1950s. and And this means a lot of things that are happening now – are going to shadow and shape things that are going to happen 40 or 50 years from now. And we can't possibly even predict what that's going to be. Although, as you point out, there are decades that just have a longer lifespan. I mean, it's, you know, the music of 1913 just is, has
1: not dominated, I, the I was ask, a, you what, know, in a way the 1960s has, right? What, what's, what was the top hit of 1913? Happy birthday. Uh, You know what? I I can't even imagine that. Top hits songs uh, of
0: okay, all right. Um, When Irish eyes are are smiling, uh, when Irish (laughs) eyes are smiling. um, When I see, but
1: we still sing that one now and then, uh, once a year anyway. Peg of my heart. Mm. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Uh, The
0: Spaniard who blighted my life by Al (laughs) Jolson. so i'm just there, there there was no young waitress in 1967 that was
1: whistling the spanner who blinded my life right. Right? she <laughs> couldn't she couldn't get way she couldn't wait to get off her shift after the summer of love and run back to her apartment and crank up a 78 rpm of al jolson okay um, so all right yeah. tom let's
0: Should we Should we segue right to uh, angry dad angry well, dad yesterday y- who wanted yes, to turn the I car did. around
1: I do have uh, one thing to say about history and the the anniversary of 9-11. Always remember, especially when you're judging people in other historical periods and think about the one you'll be judged Mm -hmm. in. My favorite saying to my students is David McCullough, the historian who said, remember, people living back then didn't know they were living back then. (laughs) They were living in their now. And as you said, every, every period creates its historical hangover and whatever's happening now, you know, 20 years from now, people are going to say, wow, these two guys, Charlie and Tommy are talking about this stuff. It seems so, well, that's because we don't know that we're living back then. This, okay. So this, this for us is now, this is funny. I was, I was doing one of
0: the cable hits and they were talking about, you know, Roe versus Wade and then, and, uh, and the, and the challenge in the courts. And so I was, I was sitting there waiting to go on, they were playing the the video the, the night of January was it January twenty second of nineteen seventy three. The NBC report about that court decision, and you're watching this black and white news broadcast <laughs> of, of this, and I'm going, holy crap! That was a long time ago. It was like yeah. a different, different world, different universe. But in, back in nineteen seventy three, I was a fresh, I was a freshman in college, and I didn't know we, I was way back there. I thought things were pretty contemporary. And it was (laughs) was sort of it was sort of a surprise that that you know what I had thought was the modern world was in fact no that was really a long time ago old guys old God. conversation okay speaking of old guys we talk about the angry dad
2: yes okay
0: angry dad came and we all know who that is angry dad let's let's play angry dad
2: from yesterday this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And it's caused by the fact that despite America having unprecedented and successful vaccination program, despite the fact that for almost five months, free vaccines have been available in 80,000 different locations, we still have nearly 80 million Americans who have failed to get the shot. And to make matters worse, there are elected officials actively working to undermine the fight against COVID-19, Instead of encouraging people to get vaccinated and mask up, they're ordering mobile morgues for the unvaccinated dying from COVID in their communities. This is totally unacceptable. Third, if you wonder how all this adds up, here's the math. The vast majority of Americans are doing the right thing. Nearly three-quarters of the eligible have gotten at least one shot. But one quarter has not gotten any. That's nearly 80 million Americans not vaccinated. And a country as large as ours, that's 25 percent minority. That 25 percent can cause a lot of damage, and they are. The unvaccinated overcrowd our hospitals or overrunning emergency rooms and intensive care units, leaving no room for someone with a heart attack or pancreatitis or cancer. So then he drops the
0: the mandates, which includes a requirement. Apparently, they're going to issue an OSHA requirement of all companies over one hundred uh, em- employees to either make sure that their employees are e- either vaccinated or tested every week. a uh, mandate of uh, for vaccinations of seventeen million healthcare workers who work for facilities to get Medicare and Medicaid. Um, which I think is kind of a no-brainer, and, and a and a sweeping mandate for all federal employees. And of course, the reaction was completely predictable. Republicans are absolutely all in uh, against this. They're filing lawsuits against this. They're pushing back against this. They're salivating at the idea of mass protests against this. And then you had people like uh, Josh Mandel, uh, who is the leading Republican candidate for United States senator in the state of Ohio. There's a reasonable chance that he will be a member of the United States Senate in a a year and a half. This is what Josh meant that he posted a a short video urging people to resist this. This was let's play Josh Mendel. And I'm hoping and praying that the Supreme Court justices that he appointed
1: to the U.S. Supreme Court will do the right thing and stand up for the Constitution, stand up for our freedom, stand up for our liberty. And if they don't, I call on my fellow Americans. Do not comply. Do not comply with the tyranny. And when the Gestapo show up at your front door, you know what to do.
0: Well, Tom Nichols, what does that mean? Again, I don't recall that the Gestapo went door to door requiring people to get vaccinated. But I don't know. You you know more about history than I do.
1: Um, It means... uh... Jo, that's Josh Mandel being unbelievably thirsty and saying, I will say anything to be a U.S. senator. That's what it all comes down to. That's that he and J.D. Vance are in the, you know, thirstiest young man in Ohio competition. And the prize is a U.S. Senate seat. And um, but this you is know, now this the is, norm.
0: This is the norm of Republicans. Right. If you're running in a Republican primary, you have to use this kind of rhetoric that Requiring, you know, or well, mandating um, or encouraging more vaccinations. Um, these mandates. This is this is the Gestapo. This is tyranny. This is uh, authoritarianism or something.
1: Well, it's all all the entire Republican Party now is built on grievance and paranoia, and victimhood, and you know, um, just stoking huge amounts of um, rage hall. Uh, and making sure people just, you know, mainline that uh, that kind of fury right into their veins every day for re- f- and without even understanding it. And the sickest thing about it, the the really most appalling and disgusting thing about all this is that Mandel, and Vance and all the rest of these um, guys that are running in the GOP, they know what they're doing. I mean, I, we can always cut that exception for you know Marjorie no, Taylor Greene, right, who's just right. nuts, right? You know, or Louis Gohmert, who's just stupid. Um, but when you when you get to somebody like Mandal or Vance, they know exactly what they're doing. They're they know exactly which buttons they're pushing. These are you know, and I I hope people listening who who have any. In, inclination of sympathy for these guys understand that they say this stuff and then they get on the elevator, you know, or or close the door to their office and they burst out laughing. You know, they, they know they sit there and they pull test this, they craft this message. Um, Mandel doesn't care that he's calling for, for actual violence. I mean, the Gestapo coming to your door, you know what to do. Um, That's never going to be a problem for Josh Mandel, but that, that'll be a problem you know, for some poor census taker or something who who, uh, you know, gets a shotgun blast through a door because guys like Mandel, you know, have spun people up to think that anybody who knocks on your door is, uh, you know, is is uh, Himmler.
0: Well, and also it's crazy. It's sort of the deniability of it. So uh, so, Josh, what are you talking about? So it, when the gasapo. Well, i just asking door, questions. You, you know what to do. What 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 is that, right. Josh? What are you telling people to do to say, hey, excuse me, not today. We're not buying. Um, you know, close the door. I'm sorry. We're having dinner or I'm washing my hair and then politely close the door or fire the shotgun blast. What, what is it, Josh? What are you actually saying? So. And I want to get into the uh, you know the you know pros and cons of, of what Biden's doing because I, I look I I think that there are legitimate legal questions about the legal authority. This is going to be challenged in court, uh, and I uh, think people ought to expect that there are going to be legal challenges and that portions of this might be thrown out. But you know, to your point about this is kind of the norm of the Republican Party. It, it's true, but 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 there are exceptions, and I do think it's kind of interesting. To watch the split between governors like, for example, the Republican governor of West Virginia, uh, Jim Justice, and Ron DeSantis down in in Florida. Ron DeSantis, who's going into a complete performative assholery and, uh, you know, cynical demagoguery selling, you know, s- selling T-shirts, don't Fauci, my Florida. Meanwhile, Jim Justice, who represents one of the Trumpiest states in the country, is just not having it. Let's play a little bit of him because he's been he's been all over the place telling people, would you just get the freaking vaccine?
2: For God's sakes a living. (laughs) How difficult is this to understand? Why in the world do we have to come up with these crazy ideas? And they're (laughs) crazy ideas that, that that the vaccine's got something in it. And it's tracing people wherever they go. And the same very people that are saying that are carrying their cell phones around. I mean, come on. Come
1: hey, on. but you know. See, but, he's but doing you know,
0: what you're saying. He's he's not like sucking up to them. He's, he's like, no, you people are crazy. This is stupid. This is nuts. I am done. I have I'm out of patience. So what J- justice is doing is he's, so, he's demonstrating, you know, you don't have to go along with the crazy. You can he, push back. Right. He's doing the
1: right thing. Amazing. But, you know, look, I, I'm not. Uh, you know, I said on Twitter when this first happened. I'm, I may not be a big Jim Justice fan in a lot of other ways, but what a relief! God bless him. You know, to hear a man just come out and say, "Listen, cut the crazy stuff." But on the other hand, you know, the one place if you're gonna if you're gonna push Governor Justice just a little harder to say, "Hey, the people in your state needed to hear that." Now call up all the people in your party and tell them to cut the crap. Because they're the ones that are making it impossible uh, to, you know, to continue this and to get it done. Um, because you're not just up against people, you know, in West Virginia who are hesitant or believing crazy stuff. You're up against all of Fox News, okay. all of your other Republican governors. You know, see Tom, but you know how that
0: phone call goes. This this goes back to your point before. You know, it's you know, justice calls up whoever it's going to be. Hey, you know, Tucker or hey, Sean or whoever you're you're talking to. You know, we we got to cut this crap. We have, to, I mean, you know, Lord Almighty, whatever. Um, by the way, that would be this would have been you know in place in 1937. Um, but. You know, we we, we, we got to start telling people the right thing. And what they would say is, oh, of course, Jim, I know that you know that. But the rubes don't want it. They won't take it. We if we got we can't say those things because then we'll get all the blowback and we'll get roasted on Facebook because this is the thing, Tom. It's a huge scam. And I think is. this is a point that people have to make that that the folks out there who have been convinced that they're victims, you know, have convinced, you know, have convinced that, you know, that the the establishment and the elites really look down on them. They need to understand that they are being scammed by their own elites who are themselves vaccinated, who would never be around people who are not vaccinated, but are smirking to themselves, but then are loading, you know, unloading the bullshit. To the the unwashed masses, and at some point you realize, wait, 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 you're telling me I don't need to be vaxxed, but all you folks at Fox News, you've all been vaxxed, right? You've been back. Va- right. Josh Mandela has been vaxxed. JD Vance has been vaxxed, and yet, and yet, you're scamming me. You're giving me this this load of. You're trying to sell me the snake oil, and I kind of, you know, maybe they're immune to that, but at some point they ought to realize what what the what the deal is.
1: I, I don't know how many different ways you can tell people, and I, I've tried, you know, in person to say no one looks down on you more than the yeah. evening lineup of Fox News yes. and the Republican Party. Right. No one thinks less of you than Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. No one laughs at you behind your back more often than Josh Mandel or Donald Trump or J.D. Vance, or any of these other people. These are educated, ambitious people. Well, not in Trump's case. I mean, Trump's just... Trump Trump doesn't have a... I, I've always thought Trump doesn't have a fully realized personality th- that he's capable of this kind of, you know, cleverness. But, um, you know, the rest of them, Kevin McCarthy, you know, they know what they're doing and they're looking down on you. And, you know, it's people always get on my case, about I say, well, you can't talk down to these people. I'm not talking down to anybody. I am talking to them like peers and trying to hold them responsible and and giving them uh, static in the same way that yeah. I would give a friend static and instead of saying, you know what? I understand. You're too stupid. You're too dumb to understand. You're too victimized. I'm talking to these people like they're members. I, I'm, these people are fellow citizens. Like they are members of my own family. The people that are talking to you like you're morons, like you're toddlers, are the entire Primetime, you know, Janine Pirro knows exactly what she's doing and, you know, gets on there and just talks down to you and spins you up and then, you know, chuckles to herself walking off camera and saying, you know, another day, another dollar. Well, okay. So whether they're laughing or not, I mean, people need to
0: understand how important this point is because, you, have, you know, J.D. Vance is a Yale law grad, all of this stuff. These, these are smart. You know, Tucker Carlson is a smart, literate guy. So when they, put stuff out that is written or spoken at the sixth grade level, when they go for the dumbest possible meme, that is the definition of condescension. Who do they think their constituency is? And they always go for the lowest common denominator. So whether they think it's funny or not, that's what they're doing. They are talking down. And so this whole thing, well, Josh Mandel does this because he's feeding the red meat to the base. Okay, well, let's think about what that means. He thinks that this is the kind of bigoted gruel that uh, his voters really crave that this will work for him. And he's not totally wrong. But it is the this this underlying contempt for the the, the folks out there, because if you actually respect uh, your constituents, you will speak to them. You will tell them, I'm sorry, you're wrong about this. I'm going to talk to you like an adult. I'm going to use language that that at least a ninth grader would understand as opposed to, you know, simply assuming that you want some sort of dumbed down Internet meme slash bumper sticker. By the way, remember, people talk about bumper sticker slogans. Bumper sticker slogans were Aristotle compared to what these guys are putting out right now.
1: And they never think to their 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 instinct is never to say look I'm here to elevate you and educate you mm-hmm. and and help you understand as a as a broadcaster i am here to you know help you navigate a complicated world instead it's i'm going to simplify everything to a jolt of cortisol that's going to marinate your heart in anger chemicals for the next hour because that's, that's right. going to keep your eyeballs on me. And that's how I'm going to make my money. You know, David Frum said it about best about Tucker Carlson. Tucker likes money and he likes being on TV. And if that means telling if that means saying things that are literally at the kind of, you know, bumper sticker level of immigrant caravans and Fauci is a fraud and, you know, stuff that Tucker Carlson, who, as you keep pointing out, I don't think it it, it can be repeated too often, who works in a. Hermetically carefully controlled, anti um, um, uh, vaccinated, anti COVID environment while telling other people to go out there and take their chances on losing their lives. Um, you know, that's if that's what they have to do, then that's what we're gonna do. That's what they're gonna do. And it, it's really, it's hideous. There's a hideousness to it that I think. And by the way, just to emphasize your point, Charlie, and when Tucker was a Tucker, Tucker went to court and said no reasonable person could believe what I'm saying is real. Yeah, he he did, he did. Um,
0: so let's let's talk about the Joe Biden uh you know Joe Biden's proposals his his his, his mandates i i see that uh, lena Wynne, um the doctor i think she was the the former president of planned parenthood um has a piece in the washington post where she describes them as tepid half measures which i think yes. is interesting because these were these are i think objectively speaking um you know rather dramatic uh, an indication that that the biden administration sees these the spreading pandemic as a threat to well, obviously, you know, human life, uh, also to the economy, also to the the Biden presidency. Um, I, look, I, I do think that there are some questions about whether you know the the ability of the administrative state to uh, tell businesses that what they have to do. On the other hand, let's be honest about this, and this is going to make its way through the courts. And I think there are legitimate arguments that are going to be made about the the statutory authority. I think the constitutional issue has been was settled back in 1905, by the way, rather clearly. But in the short term, I think this will save lives. I think this will will change behavior and all this rhetoric Well, people are going to resist or, you know, opposition will harden. Okay, this may not change hearts and minds, may not persuade anybody, you know, may fuel the outrage machines. But there will be people, there will be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who will get the vaccination as a result of this, who would not otherwise have done so. And human lives will be saved. This is an emergency.
1: Yeah there's two things that I to to think about or three things to think about with with the Biden mandates. First I think Dr. Wen has Always been. I'm not going to argue with her as a doctor, but as a policy analyst, I'm going to say she, there's a lot of her reactions to this over the past weeks has been way beyond, I think, what you know, policy can do. I mean, she was talking about, um, you know, all, vaccinations for all transportation and a national registry and an idea. I mean, you know, um, that that's I. Uh, Even I'm pretty hardcore about vaccination and I even I don't think that's that's required. So I think she's kind of over the top on on some of those policy recommendations. Um, Second is that, yeah, you know, look, good, good conservatives who care about limited government. um, You know, some of this is going to make us itch. I don't want to you know, I don't want to be. at a place where the president out of exasperation has to step in where states and Congress and everyone else has simply failed and say, okay, well, I'll give it a shot and I'll mandate it and we'll see what happens in the courts. That is not, that's not an effective democracy. I understand why Biden did it. I understand that people are going to, if he doesn't do it, people are going to die. My point about executive overreach is shame on us that it ever had to get this far. And the third thing I'd say about it is I think people are underestimating how mandates, and I've been making this point now for a few days, mandates might finally let people off the hook in communities where there is peer pressure not to get vaccinated. And I, I was thinking of this because of a CNN segment where... Um, the, a reporter visited a town in the Ozarks and I saw it that. was clear. Did you see? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and there was a doctor saying, oh yeah, I've been vaccinating people secretly. See like them. people, you know, imagine how insane America has become that you have to give somebody a life-saving vaccination secretly so that their neighbors won't judge them about a simple 15 minute, no brainer, in, in a country where we are vaccinated for a hundred things before we even go to school. Um, and so I think there may be, you know, the mandate may be the the moment where people can turn to their neighbors with, uh, you know, silent relief and say, well, you know, I would never have gotten it, but you know, what are you going to do? I think now, this is I, a guess real I thing. just have to get it. I think
0: this is a real thing. And I've heard those anecdotes as well. In fact, just this last weekend, I heard about a nanny who, uh, you know, was taking care of a family's children and members of the family would come up to her and sort of whisper, hey, by the way, I, I, I did get vaccinated. but Please don't tell anybody else in the family, you know, just to, because, you know, I, I don't want to have to deal with their pushback. So this does give people permission to to do all of that. I also think, I don't know what the politics of this are, are going to be. Um, the Republicans are salivating. They're calling for you know, mass protest. I think that most people are just fed up. I, I think that right. it's particularly among the people who have given up, you know, made massive sacrifices over the last year and a half, whose lives have been disrupted, whose jobs have been disrupted, who haven't seen family members. And this is all being endangered by people who will not do something as really as basic as, I don't know, just you know, the, the kind of hygiene that we take for granted. I mean, the reason that we don't see people with polio around is because right. we understood that that the vaccines will give us freedom from disease. And I know this may sound a little bit paradoxical, but you know, yes, this mandate you know does infringe on individual choice in some in some cases, but the reality is that it will give us the freedom to go on with our lives. It is the right to life, it is the freedom to get back to um, our daily routines, to see our family, to see our friends, to be able to travel, to go back to school. None of those things will be possible if we continue to indulge. The people who are unvaccinated and refuse to be vaccinated. And, and who I'm, are I'm, and engaging And I'm like take the fucking vaccine, As McSweeney's wrote the other day.
1: Oh, that that McSweeney's piece. <laughs> Can't recommend that enough. No, I, I mean, you know, holy shit, was that funny? <laughs> but but um, you know, it's not and it's people who are who are doing it. As attention-seeking behavior, this isn't even people are coming forward and saying, look, I'm really anguished about this. I'm scared. I don't know if the vaccine really works It could make me sick. I mean, they're kind of saying that. But then, you know, like the guy we were watching on CNN, he said, you know why I'm not taking it? Because I'm stubborn and that's who I am. Well, then screw you, man. You know, I'm sorry. But, you know, I'm a stubborn jackass is not a reason to endanger the people around you. And I, I think... You know, imagine, like you mentioned polio. We didn't have a mandate for polio. People said, well, we didn't have a mandate yeah, for polio. Yeah. Yes, because we didn't need one, right. because people were lining up to get the damn vaccine. Can you imagine, Charlie, do you remember when we were young, The I think it was the TB vaccine that left the the round scar on your arm? Oh, I remember that, yeah remember that? Yeah. And that's how you knew that you'd been vaccinated. Everybody, my mom had one of those, you know, my dad had one on his arm, you know, today you'd be hearing people say, mark of the devil. We've been scarred. It's a scar. We've been branded by, you know, big medicine, yada, yada, yada. Of course, you know, tuberculosis function. I mean, it still exists, but functionally eradicated from, for just about all of the healthy people. Um, and, and yet yeah, not only did you take a vaccine, it left a scar on your arm and it immediately identified you as, you know, at the beach you could turn and say, "Oh yeah, that's your that's your TB scar." People today would lose their fucking minds about this as if as if it's a plot. And and I'll just keep I'm going to hammer something, you know, I'm not going to do a big book ad, but hammer something I've been writing about sure. which is narcissism. You know, it's like Fauci is out to stick microchips in me because I'm that important. <laughs> and I love Jim Justice saying, you think the government's going to go all this effort to track you when you're carrying your phone around with you all day, which is just hilarious. And you know, again, think- God bless Jim. I've never thought I'd say this. God bless Jim Justice. That made me laugh out loud. And he was absolutely right. Okay. So before we we move
0: on from this, people ought to uh, look up, just at least keep in the back of your mind, the Supreme Court case, uh, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, opinion written by Justice John Marshall Harlan, who was a giant uh, in terms of civil liberties, uh, his dissents, his, his opinions you know, show that this is somebody who had thought very, very deeply about individual rights, about the Constitution. Uh, he's certainly not an outlier. And back in 1905, Supreme Court ruled in that case, 72, that vaccine mandates were constitutional. And here's the key sentence. Real liberty for all could not exist under the operation of a principle which recognizes the right of each individual person to use his own, his own liberty, whether in respect of his person or his property Regardless of the injury that may be done to others, this is something that we have. We used to understand, right, that that real liberty didn't mean that anybody could do anything they wanted, even if it hurt the community, even if it hurt or killed other people. That's not real liberty, that that's simple. That's anarchy. That's that's narcissism, That's weaponized narcissism. And to watch. To watch, you know, the the anti-vax people, including the anti-vax pro-lifers, you know, say "my body, myself," you know, I mean, my, my, I'm going to say "my body, my choice."
1: Um, it, it's so cynical. And uh, well, the same people on the right who are screaming about resisting tyranny with a vaccine mandate are applauding a Texas law that turns ordinary citizens into East German uh, informers on each other. You know, there is no consistency. There is no intellectual consistency. Everything is about owning the libs, saying no, throwing temper tantrums, holding your breath till you're blue, and always being, always choosing the policy where you think people you don't like haven't already been as a policy. So you you just look and you say, who are the people in the world they hate? What do they believe in? Whatever's the opposite of that? I mean, we literally could start walking down the street and saying, you know, be nice to your mom, you know, adopt a shelter puppy. And these guys would say, don't you tell me whether or not I can, you know, uh, (laughs) slap my mom and whether or not I can beat up a shelter puppy. I mean, they just, that's who they are now. Um, This toddler-like contrarian um, nihilistic movement that is completely incapable of any kind of, of intellectual or moral consistency to say, you know, we can't have the government making these big mandates. But if the government wants to deputize individuals as bounty hunters to inform on each other, to to bankrupt each other in court, that would be awesome. OK, so you you
0: saw that I got into a very small Twitter back and forth with with a very, very outspoken anti-abortion pro-life uh, commentator, um, Alexandra DeSanctis. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, 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 I just tweeted, I thought the, the irony of language, because I'm always interested in how language is, is used as a political weaponry. Uh, I, I, I texted about two hours ago for our taping. In, interesting hearing my, my body, my choice and the right to choose from right wing anti-vax pro-lifers. Hashtag cognitive dissonance. And she wrote back the whole crux of the argument against abortion is that there is quote another human body unquote involved i know that you know this <laughs> and and i well, look and I, and I do because i've been making this argument long before she was even born i said yes and a pandemic that's killed more than 600,000 people also involves wait for it other human beings and this is where you have the the, the block which is that your behavior puts other people at risk and people are dying as a result of it so you would think that the very people who say that well i am pro-life because you know it it involves another human being well we are talking about yes other human beings in the real world who right now are on ventilators
1: right and and who are defenseless you know this all of the arguments that that Uh, folks like her would make, right? You're talking about defenseless human beings who have no choice in the matter, um, you know, who are at the mercy of another. Well, yeah. Um, that would be, you know, old people, people that you run into in a store, people children. in a classroom, children. Um, but it, you know, again, it shows you how much of this is about seizing the high ground uh or the perceived high ground in the political struggle rather than maintaining some kind of consistent principle that, you know, you defend the innocent, you look out for other human beings, you think about the the Risk to innocent lives, um, it, you know that all of that goes away when it's not the particular issue that they want to talk about because that, you know, that's what they generate their their political capital out of. And uh, I think it's I think it's just sad uh, in a way. But you know, and again, I, I thought uh, the part of you know I know you know this, and I'm like, yeah, Charlie Charlie knew yeah, this. Yeah, when, I didn't. You know, yes, when you were, were twinkle in your grandfather's you were eye, Zygote, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so you know, uh, all right, let's
0: let's. Let's take a deep breath here and um, talk about the crazy, but also uh, the speech that Chris Christie gave last night. Okay, so I need I need to I need to take a, a little bit of a deep breath. Let's talk about this in just a moment. Hey Charlie Sykes here. Uh, Just a quick reminder: if you sign up for Bulwark Plus, you will have access to our morning newsletters, to JVL's Triad, uh, as well as our whole suite of podcasts. This one will remain free, but if you want to listen to the Secret Podcast or uh, participate in our live streams uh, or others like the Next Level Podcast, uh, please consider joining Bulwark Plus. Okay, we're back with with Tom Nichols. We've been talking about the vaccine mandates, the mother of all mandates. uh, The the blowback that we're getting. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm i sure that you saw that the TSA is now cracking down. I know you're concerned about airplane etiquette. The TSA has decided they are really cracking down on passengers who won't wear masks. So mm-hmm. it, is, it is interesting, by the way, that post 9-11, all the things that this country was willing to do and how we pulled together and it was a patriotic duty to make various sacrifices and have some national purpose. The Republican Party was all in on that. And think about how different the Republican Party is today about pulling together to
1: confront a national crisis. You know, I was watching a guy lose his shit on a on an airplane recently, right. <clears throat> and uh, I thought, and I actually said, um, uh, "If we it, we'd have lasted 15 minutes in World War II with a population like this, um, <laughs> you know, we—I mean, it just would have been over." Um, we, the idea that you could should be inconvenienced in any way, um, you know, has for the sake of any kind of larger public good um, has completely gone out the window. And we, you know, we, we think nothing of completely losing our minds in public and throwing tantrums and threatening each other and, you know, assaulting each other because we've regressed it's like we're a nation of 3-year-olds we're like a nation of 3-year-olds with car keys and guns and and whiskey um and and it's it's tragic i mean it's it's um it's not it's not how america became the country that it is—that it became a, you know, a superpower. It became, um, you know, a, an immensely wealthy country with all of our problems, with all of our flaws, with all of our drawbacks. We were always able to cooperate and do great things together, and we're not capable of doing even mildly challenging things together anymore. And and you're seeing this now devolve to the states, where, you know, um, instead of when we talk about national vaccination rates, what we're really talking about is averaging out Vermont and Alabama. Yeah. Um. You know, which is it's, really not the way, you know, we should, we should have been able to do this a, as a country. And I think the TSA issue is really important because people, uh, you know, for all my joking around about, you know, people acting like slobs and pigs on airplanes, you don't have a right to fly on an airplane. Um, right you know this this is not like you know the neighborhood carpool um flying on an airplane is a contract with a with a private uh, you know, with a private carrier that's agreeing to take you somewhere. And the idea that you can just lose your shit and, and just go off on everybody. Yeah, I'm really glad that the TSA is cracking down on this. And I was really glad to see, you know, that um, stores, I mean, there was a, a viral video the other day, some woman, I guess, who just got fired for, for losing her mind in a store, walking up and coughing on people. And, you know, stores are throwing people out for that. You know, it used to be t- a year ago, we'd see them saying, please, you know, Understand, it's our policy. do that now. They're just like, okay, out.
0: We're done. We're, we're, done, with we're you. done with you.
1: We're done with you. It's over, right?
0: Well, I'm thinking back when the, when the TSA first came in after after 9 11. You know, the the inconvenience was very was considerable. The humiliations were considerable. In fact, I I, I just flew to DC last week. And I had a a little thing of uh, of shaving cream in my bag that I'd forgotten I'd put there, and it was confiscated from me. And I could have pitched a fit, right? Except I realized, no, I this this, this is the way it is. Um, right. The world is not safer because I don't have my shaving cream. You know, I'm just a little, I'm going to be a little bit scruffier. You know, et cetera. But um, I, what I recall is that. I don't recall people pitching fits when they were asked to take off their shoes and their belts and screaming and everything. I do remember some pushback. I think it was the Ron Paul types who talked about, you know, some of the excesses of of TSA agents, but they were such a small minority. It wasn't this 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 massive cultural push, because I think people understood there's a rational connection between. We have a real threat of terrorism out there. There are real, you know, security concerns. And I'm going to have to go along with all this. You know, do you see Will Salatin's piece in Slate where he talked about why the party of 9-11 couldn't handle COVID-19? And he, you know, goes back to talk about, you know, what happened under the Bush administration and the sacrifices people were asked to make. And he says today, in the face of a far more deadly enemy, Republicans have done the opposite. They belittled the pandemic. They've scorned vigilance. They've defended reckless individualism. They've ob- obstructed efforts to protect the public, and and and, and his bottom line is explaining the contrast. The simple truth is, the Republicans don't know how to deal with this kind of enemy. It doesn't speak Arabic, Farsi, or Chinese. It doesn't invoke Spanish. It doesn't invoke invo- the
1: name Russian.
0: of, yeah. of or, or of Allah. Politicians can't rile up crowds or raise money by uniting Americans against it, as they did really against radical Islamic terrorism. And so this really has been a test of character. It challenged Republicans to decide, Salton writes, whether they're a party of national security or just a party of grievance and animosity. That question has now been answered.
1: The Republicans are no longer the party of national security. And that was part of the reason, you know, I mean, I joined the, the Republican party during the cold war, and that was a big part of why I was a Republican that I felt like the Republicans had a better handle on the threat from the Soviet union. But, you know, this is where Republicans, of course, Charlie, you know, as we are often accused, we never think about what being Republicans was like, and we never think back and never reckon with the past. But, um, You know, the Republicans, I think one thing that was that deformed the Republican Party is that we were too much of a Cold War party and we were too much centered on having an identifiable enemy in the Soviet Union. You know, you talked about Chinese and Russian, uh, Chinese and Spanish and Arabic. And that's why I added and Russian, because there was a time I learned Russian not only because I was entranced by the culture and, you know, because I share a religion with the Russian people, but I it was the language of the enemy. And I felt like I had to understand, you know, the language that the enemy government spoke. Um, And I think when the Cold War ended, the the Republicans didn't know how to function without an identifiable, personalizable enemy. And I think that was a flaw in too many years of the Republicans carrying the lance, rightly and as they should have carrying the lance of the cold war but not knowing how to make a transition to a world where then we really can step back and say now we're going to be that shining city on a hill now that we are now we're going to be just a good example to everyone in the world and not just the you know the the fortress against mm-hmm. communism and so I think that you know Will's absolutely right about this—that we didn't know we, they, the Republicans that have, you know, whatever they've morphed into now, um, didn't know how to deal with something that was an amorphous, non-personalizable enemy that required us simply to say, <clears throat> you know, we have to, we have to link arms, we have to you know, engage in some shared sacrifice. We have to inconvenience ourselves. You know, uh, the closest thing to it that I can think of where tempers flared and you're old enough to remember this was the gas crisis. Yeah. But even there, you could say it's the Arabs, True. right? It's the Arabs who did this to us. But, but you know, we this all, no, all had to kind of is, sit in line, you know, th- this, and we all this, had to... Yeah.
0: No, this is, a good, good. this is a good point because there has been that sort of endless, restless search for who who is going to be the new enemy. And as long as you can put a face on it, because they were willing to do all sorts of draconian things if the enemy was the caravans or Mexican rapists or Islamic terrorists or the Chinese. Uh, they need to put a face on it, and there seems to be kind of a through line in the faces that they're looking for. Um, well, they've
1: decided on a new enemy. The Republican Party has found its new enemy, and that new enemy is tens of millions of their fellow Americans. All
0: right. Let's talk about Chris Christie. Um, Chris Christie, who um, I I have to admit, I, I have I go way back um, as a as a Christie observer. I remember when he used to come here to Wisconsin and I made it a point to um, show up at a lot of the events while I was, you know, master of ceremonies at many of them back in the back in the day. And uh, I originally thought of him as one of the most gifted political speakers, pol- political animals I have ever seen. So I was always fascinated by him. But then again, incredibly, like disillusioned when when he decided that he was going to be one of the first sock puppets for Donald Trump when he endorsed Donald Trump that was one of the key moments in normalizing Trump's candidacy and that that image of him standing you know behind looking sort of you know blankly is kind of indelibly like when when his soul left his body yeah exactly well apparently he's trying to get his soul back in his body because you know having having waffled all over the place he gave a speech last night at the Reagan library and this has been widely billed as as his sort of coming out, uh, moving past Trump, possibly testing the waters for 2024. Let me just play this because he very specifically calls out the conspiracy theories and the election de- uh, deniers. Um, I mean, this is this is going to be, I think, pretty safe to say, an unforgivable sin uh, in in MAGA world. This was Chris Christie last night. Listen. As Republicans,
1: we need to free ourselves from the quicksand of endless grievances. We need to turn our attention to the future and stop wallowing in the past. Mm. We need to face the realities of the 2020 election and learn, not hide from them. We need to discredit the extremists in our midst Mm. the way we've Mm. done it before. And we'll discuss that a little bit more in a moment. Names, please. We need to renounce <laughs> the conspiracy theorists oh. and the truth deniers, the ones who know better, and the ones who are just plain
0: nuts.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> so, Tom Nichols, he's going to
1: have to name names at some point, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and uh, look, uh, I think, you know, Chris Christie's role in elevating Donald Trump is um, – you know, un- unforgivable. Um, and if, if this is how he's going to atone, well, that's great. I don't, I, I think it's very hard to trust him, um, after all this, but if he's, I mean, he is let's, let's, let's give, you know, not three cheers, but one cheer for Chris Christie. He he's doing this a considerable political and maybe even personal risk. Um, you know, See, to go out there and say this, um, but on the other hand, until he starts naming names and getting into, because you know, Christy, you know this, Christy made his, his, um, his whole made his bones on I'm the scrappy tough guy that's going to get in your face. I'm the I'm the oh, Jersey yeah. son of a bitch. Well, okay, Chris, time to time to wade in there uh, you know, and, and start, you know, fingers and chests with some of your fellow Republicans and name names. And when you talk about conspiracy theorists and nuts and extremists, and I liked, you know, let's not let this uh, slide. He said, the people who know what they're doing, Yeah. Um, no, he, which he you gets- and I have been talking about for a year now, I see. But I, this is going to be this is going to be wrenching because I was thinking
0: about the fact, you know, that, that you know, come 2024, there are going to be some very, very difficult moments. And there will be, um, you know, again, very unexpected alliances. You know, I, w- I would never ex- have expected that that Mike Pence would have st- you know stood up the way that he did in 2021. Doesn't mean that I'm a Pence fan or I'm going to forget what he did. But you need those allies. Um, Christie is a is a tough sell, I have to say. Uh, there's no way I'm getting over this. On the other hand. What he said is necessary. It is crucial to come from people like him that we have got to step away from the crazy. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, if we're going to win elections, we have to have ideas. We have to have things we can't wallow in our own grievances. The problem is that I don't see any way right now that he's going to get any traction for all of this. Because he's he's calling he's calling out Donald Trump in the in, in really pretty direct way with the exception of the fact, not, not naming him, but how do you, how do you break away from the crazy and the conspiracy theories without confronting directly the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the center of it all, which is Donald
1: Trump himself. Yeah. Two things about what Christie said. One is, I don't, I'm not sure he's right when he says, well, you know, we can't get elected without, you know, the lesson of 2020, you know, we have to have ideas. We we can't get, I'm sorry, but there are a whole bunch of Republicans that are getting elected without ideas who are winning on, you know, pure lunacy and pure, you know, um, uh, 150 proof rage. Um, that makes no sense. I mean, it's not even, the justifiable range of some, you know, policy. It's just, <sighs> hey, uh, you know, everybody hates you and you hate everybody and of, and vote for me. And that's, you know, in Ohio, going back to Ohio, that might work. Th- but the second thing about Christine, and again, this goes back to the one cheer for Chris thing, this message, that call has to come from with inside right, the it's house. It's got to come in the house, right? Yeah. It's got to come from somebody who was behind Trump, who knows Donald, as Chris calls him, Uh, as Chris Christie calls him, who knows Donald, who was inside the machinery. It's got to be somebody who steps forward and says, listen, I was one of you. I was inside the machine and I'm telling you that you're being played, that this is bad because, you know, you and I and reform mind, you know, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and the rest of us can can scream about it all day long. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, we,
0: but see, that's the thing is we used to be inside the house. And the moment yeah, we said it, yeah. we were outside the house. So the moment that Chris Christie says this, he's outside the house forever. Right. I mean, so- we were
1: but we were outside early. I mean, we were early leavers. And that's <laughs> I mean, you know, we weren't we weren't ever part of the. You, but know, Liz, you Liz, Liz Cheney Liz- was a late late adopter. Right. Yeah. I mean, but she was never a Trumper either. I mean, she was kind of a reluctant. Yes, I'm a Republican. Yeah. Sort of rolling her eyes. I mean, this is a guy who, who destroyed Marco Rubio. Which now looking back, I think is you know I take uh, well deserved, but destroyed Rubio and cleared a path for Donald Trump instead yeah. of turning that acid, Ugh. you know, uh, uh, opposition to Trump. I mean, I, imagine how different. And I'm just gonna. You know, we can't live in the past and we can't keep what ifing the primaries. But imagine if both Rubio and Christie and others had just stopped the, the debate at some point, turned and looked at Donald and said, Listen, I don't want any of these other guys to win because I think I should be president. But what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Well, see, None and- of us, all of us agree that you are, uh, you know, if, if Senator Rubio gets ahead of me, I'm going to fight him and I'm going to try and get this nomination. But we all agree you are appalling.
0: They, they never just would have done do it.
1: it. They no, just and, they wouldn't do it. But
0: but if he had done it, who knows what would have happened. But you're right. The more I think about this, look, all of my instincts are to to go, you know, screw Christie. Just, just screw him, you know, what he's done. On the other hand, it, this stuff has to come from inside the house. And to a certain extent, you think of it, if you're Donald Trump, Chris Christie is the only guy who really, if, if he goes back to the old Chris Christie, who would, you know, f- face you down who would say that Mm. because one of the things we learned was that everybody else was a complete wimp. You know, I mean, you know, what a, what a, what a wimp, uh, you know, whether you're talking about Ted Cruz or Lindsey Graham or you, you think of that stage we remember back in in 2016 we thought boy the Republicans have this really really strong uh, you know bench here look at all these people you have Marco Rubio you have Ted Cruz you have Lindsey Graham you have you know the governor of the state of Ohio the governor of the state of Wisconsin they all turned out well the will case has got to be because he's well um but they all turned out to be wimps they all turned out yeah. to be not being willing to put to face face down the bully. Um, the thing is that, that Chris Christie is himself a bully. And so maybe that's what it takes to go. If he's willing to do it as opposed to doing what Nikki Haley has done, all these other people who sort of put their toe in independence and then come scurrying back, you know, to kiss the orange, you know, the orange God King's ass. Um, but if Chris Christie goes full, Chris Christie, that's a challenge within the party that Donald Trump literally has not faced. Up until
1: now, and I think right? there's two. There's a couple of things that are interesting about Christie. First of all, the other thing is Christie knows him. They've they've lived in proximity to it. Christie has a lot of receipts on Trump um in in a way that other people don't christy knows a lot about trump and 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 christy deciding that he's in don't give a fuck mode and and if you know is. that if he is now you know again because let's face it christy has nothing to lose he's not going to lose a senate seat he's not going to get primaried out of his house seat he's not you know running <clears throat> for governor um so for Christie to go kamikaze here, you know, that could be a real threat to, um, as you say, somebody who finally goes toe to toe with Donald Trump. But the other thing about Christie, and I think, I hope this is part of what's going on. If Chris Christie really is saying, look, win, win or lose going into this, you know, Republican electoral season, the, the best service I can do for my country And for the party that I once belonged to that I care about is to finally go head to head with all of these lunatics and really kind of out them in only the way that a, you know, a loud, brash bully can do, then I say, good for him. Then it's got to, you know, we both keep saying it's got to happen from within. It can't, it can't be some, you know, reform minded young Republican, you know, running in a primary in, in uh, Ohio or Indiana somewhere. Um, It's got to come from somebody who knows how to throw that punch in with somebody like Donald, because, you know, Donald Trump is a coward. Let's face it. You know, all these other people wimped out. And the thing that really killed me about how fast everybody collapsed in 2016 is that nobody really tried to lay lay one on Trump, to to really tag Trump in public because he he would have folded. Imagine if the Republicans, I'll just do one more imagine, Charlie. Imagine if the Republicans had said, you're not a Republican. We double dog Daria to run as a third party candidate. Go ahead. Give it your shot.
0: Ryan Priebus was never going to do that. Okay, so my attitude, and I'm I'm, I'm working through through this in, in in real time, is basically if I was in the room with Chris Christie, the conversation would go something like, um, "Governor Christie, fuck you, fuck you, and everything you <laughs> did." But having said that, have a seat. I'm lis- I'm listening, and I'm gonna watch. Okay. Right. I I'd, right. I'd have I'd have to vent. I'd have to blow off the steam like you ask what the fuck did you think was going to happen what were you doing standing there you know i mean are you embarrassed by that or you, you know oh, we we'd have to have that sort of like little cathartic moment um but then i go okay i'm 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 listening give give it your best shot if right. you don't so if, if you don't right. fold you know because hey, to a certain extent look, liz cheney and adam kinsinger they voted for donald trump to be reelected to get another term and yet you got to take the deep breath and go. All right, you don't get to always choose the army you go to war with, right, Professor? And and
1: <laughs> after, <laughs> right? You, uh, don't don't you don't you put that Rumsfeld voodoo on me, buddy? Um, but but uh, you know, after the after the f bomb catharsis, to say, yeah. okay, and I have one more question for you, Governor. If it looks like this message, you know, is going to be rejected, are you going to fold again?
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: That's, what I'm that's the I'm, real. I am listening. and I'm losing, watching. Right. No. If you're losing, and the and the Republican faithful are saying, "Boo, Chris Christie," are you gonna, you know, are you gonna go Liz Cheney, or are you gonna go Nikki Haley?
0: Yes, that's uh, exactly right. Are you gonna go Liz Cheney or Nikki Haley? That's great. And that's all I, I, I want to know.
1: I, I may steal that for a tweet. You are, it is, uh, we are friends and you are welcome to it. Um, but you know, that's, that's really the decision and yeah, you know, yes. Um, thank you for inviting me to this meeting. Fuck you very much. And now, you know, I, all I want to know, I don't have any other questions for you because you're not going to, you know, be the, you're not going to save the Republican party single handedly on this, but when the blowback comes, are you going, are you going to go Liz Cheney or are you going to, going to go Nikki Hanley? And that's my only question. Because the third choice is you go
0: back to that fucking beach where you're sitting there on the
2: line. Right, you say, here. okay,
1: you know, I said, well, okay, I tried. I spoke, to, you know, I gave one speech at the Reagan library and it was mean to me. So I'm going back to the beach. No, not good enough. You owe the country more than that. You owe what's left. If there's a decent Republican, if there are 10 decent Republicans left, you yeah. owe it to them to go back and, and undo a lot of what you did. And it's, it will be hard. You will get blowback and threats and vitriol and calumny. And the, and are you willing to, you know, are you as tough as you say you are governor? That, I guess that's the question because uh, nobody who went on that stage in 2016 turned out to be as tough as they were tr- trying to advertise themselves to be. Yeah. And, and, and none of them, um, none of them had
0: what it took to, uh, either beat Donald Trump or to be president of the United States. So Tom Nichols on that note, on that note of defiance, Uh, Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday.
1: We'll do this all over.